This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome, guys and gals, let's not forget the ladies, to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We want to empower you, so we've created one of the premier lifestyle shows that brings you tools previously only available to elite high performers. We may not have all the answers, but we do have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with everything here at The Art of Charm and get some great free content that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you like what you hear on the show, come hang out with us on the blog where we get really in-depth on some of these topics, and you can further engage with The Art of Charm team there as well. Or if you're new to the show and you want to find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top podcasts here on The Art of Charm. We'll send you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, vocal tonality, dating and attraction, persuasion, business networking and negotiation, relationship management, public speaking, and more. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. We're sold out five to six months in advance, so if you're thinking about it just a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP by phone or just email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com, to get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Chris Edwards. He was born a woman and now is a man, to put it succinctly. He grew up in Boston. He worked for an advertising agency, a very well-known one. And today he's going to talk about his transition from female to male. And I know that this sounds a little off topic, but I think it's fascinating because he literally had to learn how to be a man from scratch manually. So we teach a lot of things to men here at The Art of Charm, men and women, but he had to really learn the nuances almost with the textbook that does not exist. And I think that this is very, very interesting to get an insight into that. We're gonna talk about how it works, transitioning, how he told everyone about it, how not to let one life event define you, unless, of course, you want it to. Dating, if you're transgender, his first almost fist fight. And, of course, how he learned all those man customs manually. So enjoy this one with Chris Edwards. So it's funny because this is one of those shows where I was thinking there's almost no way for me to avoid looking ignorant at some or multiple points (laughs) during this show. So I'm just going to accept that that's going to happen. 
don't worry about it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm glad to hear you say that because there's going to be people who write in and they're like, you know, you said this and this was insensitive and you should know that. I'm just going to throw it out there now. I'm, I'm aware of my own ignorance in this matter and I'm just going to give myself permission to not be blatantly an a-hole but to ask questions that are going to come across as like, I can't believe you just said that. Okay. Yeah. So tell us who you are because I, I will not do it justice. I'm Chris Edwards. I uh, am a uh, advertising creative director, and I have transitioned from female to male. In 1995, I began. Yeah, so I was a creative director for 20 years, uh, roughly, and I used what I learned working in advertising to rebrand myself when I transitioned from female to male back in 1995. Yeah. So you've been doing, I mean, you've been a dude for a while, something I didn't find myself ever saying ever. And doing what you did takes balls, shitty pun intended. The thing is, a lot of people that I know who've done this, and granted, I can probably count those people on one hand, they kind of, they do it and then they they move to another state and then they do it and da, da, da. But you did this with an audience. Yep. I actually had plans to move to another state and, and do it. I couldn't Im have imagined doing it in front of everybody where I worked, everybody I went to school with, uh, everyone in my life. And uh, I had planned to move away. And my therapist is the one who got me to to consider staying, not only staying in the Boston area where I live, but, but staying at the agency where I worked. And what she said really flipped a switch for me. You know, I was so worried about, I'm a worrier by nature, you know, to give you an idea, I was voted most likely to get an ulcer in high school. So wow. In high about, school. Yeah. In high school. Right. I didn't think anyone, I opened the yearbook and I'm like, really? Other people know this? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I worry about everything. So you can imagine this, um, you know, worrying about changing my gender in front of everybody I knew was paralyzing. And my therapist was like, what are you worried about? And I'm like, well, I'm worried about what are people going to say? What are people going to think? What are, what are they going to do? And I figured she would say, well, you can't worry about what you can't control. But instead she said, well, you know, you can actually control what people think or say or do to a large extent by the way that you act. And it was realizing that I actually had that ability and had that power. That's what gave me the balls to go ahead and, and do it and stay where I stay in the town where I lived and, and stay at the job where I worked. The way I acted could actually shape the way others reacted. And I had that power. And that's when I really took it upon myself to plan this transition out. It was like a year in the making. You know, I think a lot of people think when people transition, they just make the announcement and then show up to work the next day in a wig and a dress, or in my case, um, a haircut and a... And a five o'clock shadow. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which you do have. When I saw your picture, I was yeah. like, oh, I don't think this is the uh, right guy. Because <laughs> I was, I was, I don't know what I was, this is the part where I look ignorant. Yeah. I was expecting something totally different because I live in San Francisco and sometimes you see people who are transgender around and... and of course, those are the ones that you can tell are because it's like, whoa, that's a guy that's transitioning or a girl that's transitioning. But of course, the the truth is, I probably know a ton of people that have, and they just don't walk around going, "Hi, I'm transgender," because I and I just don't, I just don't know. 
that's that's true. Yeah. Um, I'm also Armenian, full fledged. So when you combine that Armenian heritage with the testosterone injections, I can pretty much grow a beard just by thinking about it. <laughs> right. So. You, it's literally only a matter of yeah willpower for you to grow that beard. <laughs> right. You may have had the body hair before the transition. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was uh, hairy for a girl, I will tell you that. Um, well, well, came in handy. <laughs> but not this hairy. <laughs> yeah, wow. So this this is really interesting. One of the reasons I find this fascinating is a lot of what we talk about on the show, at least in the past, used to be you know, teach men how to be men. Now it's more of a unisex kind of program. But you had to learn how to be a man more manually than anybody that we've ever spoken to or about on the art of charm, you really had to just go, okay, I, so I'm a man now, uh, legally. However, there's a set of customs that come with that, that you had to just figure out. Yeah. Well, to me, I was always, I was always a boy and then always a man. Um, but you're right. I was socialized, um, differently than most guys. So I was the middle child. I have an older sister and a younger sister too on top of it. So I didn't even have a brother that I could learn from. But yeah, I did learn. Um, it's funny when I did transition at work, I had such a great reception from everybody. And part of it was the way that I handled it. But um, one of my buddies uh, who worked down in the studio uh, gave me a bar mitzvah card. And it's I still have it. Uh, and it said, congratulations, today you are a man. And because he worked <laughs> in the studio and he's crafty, he uh, tricked out the inside and included tips that I should know. Like which urinal to use? Which, which What are the tips in there? The main tip was using the urinal, you always should look straight ahead. You never look to the side. You just go in there and you look straight ahead and you, and you do your business. So that was his main tip. But then throughout, you know, a lot of it was was just learning by stumbling upon things that I didn't realize. Like, for instance, you know, I always hold the door for people. I don't care what gender they are. I just do it out of courtesy. And the first time when I started transitioning and I was passing, right away I was passing, I was walking into a store and this woman in front of me just let the door slam right in my face. Oh, that's rude. I, I literally walked in and I'm like, geez, have all this time people been just holding the door for me because I was female? <laughs> You're like, that's it. I'm going back. I mean, really? I'm going well, back. No, I would never go back. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. Another thing that, that I remember too was, you know, after a year on the testosterone injections, you know, they give you... You, you gain weight, you gain muscle weight, you eat a lot more. I had a lot of cravings for red meat. I was just not eating healthy at all. And uh, I gained 30 pounds in that first year. And I'm not very tall. I'm 5'4". So, you know, I went from a waist 32 to a 36 in a year. It was disgusting. And I was wow, like that's a lot. disgusted with myself, disgusted with my friends. Why didn't anyone have an intervention? You know, it <laughs> just crept up on me. And so I had just gone to the doctor for a checkup and I got on the scale and I weighed 167 pounds uh, at 5'4". And she's like, you need to get a grip. I'm like, oh, oh my wow. God. You know, it was a total reality check. And so then I was like, all right, I got to get a grip. I felt horrible. And I drove down to the Cape to my parents' house. I pulled in the driveway and I'm getting my stuff out of the trunk. And my friend's husband 
Digger is walking down the street and uh, he yells to me, hey, dude, you're really packing on a few back there. Oh, nice. And I'm like, Charming. What the f-? I'm like, are you kidding me? His name is Digger. He doesn't yeah, have any room to his throw stones. <laughs> his name's Digger. He, he's a, he's like a surfer dude guy. And but anyway, I was like, oh my god! I saw so you know I felt even worse. And then the next day, his wife stopped by on her way to the beach, and she's like, Digger told me what he said to you yesterday, and I was horrified. And he didn't understand why I was horrified. And I told him, you don't say that to someone. He's like, that's what guys do. We bust on each other, yeah. especially about weight. When Chris didn't sling anything back at me, I was worried that I might have hurt his feelings that he didn't know about that custom yet. Right. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And I said, no, I did not. But then the next time I saw him, I said, boy, you're really going bald there. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and we were all square. That's funny. Yeah. So instead of... You became a guy, but what you ended up with, you're like, wow, it's like I have Asian parents. Um, they're just ripping on you like, hey, you look really fat. Uh, thanks. I didn't notice at all. You know, for me, what's really fascinating about the whole th- – the idea that you became a man manually um, and – well, first of all, when did you realize this was something that you needed to do? Because you had sort of touched on this. Well, I was always a man in my head, but now I had yeah. to make the transition. How old were you when you were like, wait? How come everybody else is this? I was four. Whoa, that's really early. Yeah, I'll tell you. I was, uh, and I, it's such a vivid memory for me. I was, um, I came out to my grandmother at four. I just didn't know that's what I was doing. Neither did she. When we were at her house, uh, her cottage on the Cape, and my, my older sister and I were coloring on the rug in the family room, and Graham was passing by us from the kitchen to the dining room, putting dinner on the table, and she said, um, Come on, girls, dinner's ready. And my sister, you know, immediately sprung up and followed her to the table. And I didn't flinch. I honestly didn't think she was talking to me. And she came back a minute or two later and she said, didn't you hear me calling you? And I said, no. And she said, I said, come on, girls. And I said to her, I'm not a girl. She said, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a boy. And she said, no, you're not, sweetheart. And, and I said, well, then I'm going to be. Oh, that's she's funny. Like, she's like, you can't, darling. You know, and she walked in the kitchen. I'm sitting there thinking like, whatever, Graham, you know, I'm making this happen with or without you. And so I was, I was so dumbfounded by the fact that she would think that. And in my four-year-old brain, I'm thinking, why would she think that? Oh, well, boys have short hair and girls have long hair. So I just need to get my hair cut. Yeah. And I told my mom I wanted my hair cut like my dad's. She let me get it cut and I thought the problem was solved. Right. <laughs> right. Handled it a lot, yeah. <laughs> lot cheaper than what actually happened, right? Right. More convenient. No. Um, it wasn't until a year later that I realized I was uh, lacking certain equipment. Oh, you found out a year later. I was going to ask you, yeah, what happened when you finally saw a penis? Were you like, wait a (laughs) second, what's going on here? Yeah, I did. So as I said, I I had um, sisters. So it wasn't until the following summer when we were out, we had just come back from the beach and uh, I was with my younger cousin who's a year younger than me. And uh, we were on the deck having popsicles. And he's like, watch this. And he turns to the side and pees in this perfect arc. (laughs) <laughs> right over the deck ring. And I was stunned. You know, when I pee, it goes straight down. And I, and I was like, do you have a squirt gun in there? What? How did you do that? And my sister's like, duh, he has a penis. And I'm 
thinking to myself, what is this penis? And how come I don't have right. one? Uh, grandma, mark my words. I'm getting one of those too. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I, I'm like, maybe I'll grow one. It just hasn't grown yet. But yeah, you know, it's funny when your grandma was calling you, I was like, maybe you're just a bad listener. And then I was like, wait a minute, that would also make you a dude. So <laughs> it's twofold on that one. Wow. So was it scary? This is a dumb question, I feel like, because I feel like surgery in general is scary. But this is kind of scary because it's not like, oh, what if something goes wrong during surgery? It's also you think you know what something is like or, or you don't. And then you're suddenly thrust into this world and you can't like hide in your house forever. You have a job. Right. Your, your friends and family all know about it. And if they don't, I mean, even going to the coffee shop, people are going to be like, wait a minute, you know, because it doesn't happen instantly. Right. There's a period of months or a while that you have to take the things. changes. Yeah. So when I announced that I would be transitioning, you have to live in that gender role for at least a few months. It says six months was the guideline, but you know, just it varies based on who you're, what therapist you're seeing. But you have to live in that gender role for a few months to make sure that you can handle it before they will do anything that's irreversible. So that seems wise. Yeah. But on the surface of it, I was like, well, how the hell am I supposed to do that? You know, how am I supposed to pass as a man when I don't have this help with the hormones or the surgery? So mm -hmm. what you end up doing is, you know, luckily my chest wasn't that big to begin with. You bind your chest. Uh, I had an ace bandage every day that I would wrap my chest with. And, uh, you know, I had, I got a shorter haircut than I already had, uh, made it more masculine. And, you know, I already dressed gender neutral, so I started to be more overtly masculine. I wore ties every now and then, even though I didn't have to. But like when I was going to the DMV, I put a tie on. I was giving people as many gender cues as I could. Uh, and I would try to talk in a deeper voice. And that's what I did for a few months. Let's see, probably three or four months. And then I, I started testosterone injections. In about two months, those effects really kick in and the voice starts to change. You start getting hairier. As I said, I started gaining muscle mass. Your forehead widens. I started to lose, you know, if you have male pattern baldness, that's what you... Oh man, you're accelerating that, right? You know what I mean? Like I, I said to my endocrinologist, so can you give me just the right amount so that you know, my voice drops, you know, but I don't go bald or don't get back hair. And, and he's like, no, yeah, you he get just what you get. Stood <laughs> yeah. up and put his hands on his hips and cackled <laughs> yeah. with his head kicked back. Like, no, you're getting it all. He's like, it triggers what it triggers. Oh, man. Uh, and I said, oh, well, could it make me taller by any chance? And he goes, unlikely. No, he goes, if you had started before puberty, yes, but you're way beyond that at this you're point. Like, Damn, I knew I should have started at age four. I would have if I could have. What did your family say at that point? I mean, was your grandma still around? And she's like, Damn, yep. man, you're worried. What did yeah, she have to say on the matter? She was in Florida at the time. And um, I, I came out to my family, my immediate family first. And my younger sister said, I always thought of you more as a brother than a sister. And I would rather have you as a brother than not at all. Um, I think my older sister, you know, she was adjusting. She was closer to me, um, both in age and in, you know, 
emotionally, we were, we worked together. We were always in the same school because we were only a year apart. We shared the same friends. So it was a harder adjustment for her. Uh, and my parents, my parents were supportive, but they were, I'd say cautiously supportive. It was a lot to take in back then. You know, there was very little information out there. This was 1995. There was the word transgender wasn't even really in the vernacular yet. That's funny. The word was transsexual and it, it was very negative, negative connotation. Right. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort Thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. 
Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Now back to it. That's like the people you see in Vegas with like the crazy uniforms. That's what you think of when you think of that. More extreme. It's transsexual is also, it's linked with being unstable. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's like Silence of the Villain and Silence of the Lambs who skinned all the women to make a, um, a female body for himself because he was a frustrated transsexual. It's uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, when, you know, Lois Einhorn is actually Ray Finkel, an, an unstable transsexual. And then there was always the guests on the talk shows like Jerry Springer. Right. It was salacious, it was sensationalism, and it was just very negative and not real. It was a, a very awful stereotype. Yes. Which is why that word is very un-PC to use. Um, I feel like I haven't heard it in 20 years. Yeah, sometimes it comes out there, sometimes people use it. Uh, but yes, generally that word is not used and it shouldn't be. That was the situation back then. And so my parents, there was very little information for them to learn anything, very few success stories to point to as positive examples. And the surgery was nowhere near where it is today, especially going from female to male. You know, it's a lot harder to add than it is to subtract. How is that even done? How do you add that? I mean, do you find a donor somehow or is this no. like a, <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure that, thank God. Okay. They're talking about that as a possibility in the near future, they're saying. They've tried it and it's not worked, I guess. But oh. the surgery, and keep in mind too, you know, I want to be clear, not everyone gets surgery. And that's another thing why you should never ask someone who's transgender whether they've had or plan to have surgery. Obviously, I'm talking about it, so you can ask me. Right. In general, you, you do not do that. And, and the reason is, obviously, it's a personal question, but it's offensive because by asking that question, you are implying that that person is not the gender that they affirm they are unless they've had the surgery. Ah. And many people do not have it, um, whether for various reasons. It could be they can't afford it. Um, they're afraid to have it. It's a lot to go through. They don't have the support. They can't get the time off of work. They do a, a physical labor job and can't, you know, afford to be off of work um, and unable to work. So there's a number of reasons. Um, I think if you're going from male to female, I'll, I'll, I've never had a vagina, but I got to say I'm pretty happy with my current set. Like you said when you were five, he peed in a perfect arc off the dock. I, w I don't want to trade that for anything, you know. I, I think if your gender identity was female, I think you would probably <laughs> give it up. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure you're right. But, um, you know, for those who are going from male to female, the surgery is much easier because it's, you know, easier to subtract and they can invert the penis and do a surgery. It can be one to two surgeries and you're done. I underwent 22 procedures. Oh, my gosh. For that. And partly because there there is potential for complications, and I had a lot of complications, but you're building this thing. You know, they take tissue from your abdomen and your, and your groin, and a lot of the surgeries happen in stages, so you have to wait three months before you can have the next one. Oh. 
it's a lot to go through. You know, this is why when people say it's a choice, I'm like, no one would ever choose to put themselves through this. No. Unless it was critical to their identity. Identity. Feeling incomplete. So it is, it is a long process. And you, you had to start then not only rebranding your body, but rebranding yourself or maybe not your personality, but your identity in the eyes of other people, which is tricky. But luckily, this is your job. I mean, I looked up your YouTube McNuggets rapper. I'm in the Nuggets, y'all. That one and the Truth Campaign. You know that guy. That dude is the um, rapper on that McNuggets spot. Is the um, lead in in HBO Silicon Valley. Did you what? recognize? Him? No. His, Hold on a Thomas second. Middlebitch. Yeah, he's. I'm looking this up again. I'm in the Nuggets, y'all. We'll have to. Uh, we're gonna have to link that in the show notes. McNuggets rap. Oh yeah, yeah. Sure enough, it totally is him. I guess I was looking more at the guy on the left. Yeah, Fernando. But Thomas, he had the the sunglasses on. But that's him. Yeah. Uh, and then the, of course, the singing fish spot. Give me back that fillet of fish. Give me that fish. A lot of people hate me for that one. That was an earworm. I don't know if you guys got that out in, in L.A. I don't remember that one. I mean, what is this rap commercial? Because the version I'm looking at looks like a VHS recording. Well, the guys, Thomas and Fernando, did that rap just for the hell of it. And I found it on YouTube. And McDonald's was one of my accounts. And we were going to do a McNuggets promotion. So I was the first one to take YouTube content and make a TV spot out of it. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought this was like one of those, let's make it look like they're just hanging out and they filmed it themselves kind of deal. I know they actually did. That was back in, I think, the spot, I think, came out in 2007. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, knowing that I was the first person to change genders at my agency, which had about 500 people, not only just at my agency, but in the community, I knew I, I needed to set an example. So I knew what the stereotypes were that were out there. And I not only did I have to rebrand myself, I had to rebrand the whole category about what being transgender meant. Uh, to get rid of those st negative stereotypes that the media was portraying. I decided, you know what, my brand message is, is going to be, I'm not crazy. And I wanted people to see that I was normal. I'm still the same person. I just look a little bit different on the outside. My brand personality was be the educator. So I was not going to be meek or ashamed or secretive about my transition. I was going to be open and honest and encourage questions and help educate everybody. I was basically bringing this community along with me. They were all along for the ride and learning as I learned. Um, and of course, I, I kept my sense of humor throughout it because you got to have a sense of humor to get through something like this. And I want, I used it to make people feel at ease and comfortable around me and not have them worry about saying the wrong thing or, you know, overstepping their bounds. And, and I wanted them to know the topic was open for discussion. And the first time I did that, it was like a gut reaction. I was walking down the hall. Uh, this was maybe a week after my announcement and I was walking down the hallway. And uh, my friend Ellen was the head of the AV department at the time, and she was explaining to her intern what a female-to-male video adapter cable was. <laughs> and I happened to be right outside her open doorway just as she held up the cable and said, this is a female-to-male. And I just stuck my head and I said, hey, stop talking about me. <laughs> 
they were laughing and then word got around that I did that. And I was constantly making jokes, um, you know, at my own expense, but just to kind of lighten the situation up and, and people knew that they could talk about it with me and, and that, right. um, you know, it would be a comfortable thing. Not eggshells, not like, oh, don't mention it because then it's going to be a thing. And then they're quiet around you because they don't want anything to come out wrong. Right. And, you know, people worry, am I going to say, luckily, my name was the same, but um, people worry about the pronouns. And, and it's, you know, you really got to try to get the pronouns right. And, you know, I know people are going to mess up. It takes time to get used to it. And I didn't want people to worry if they messed up that I would be mad or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, you'd correct yourself and you move on and you don't make a big deal out of it. There's one uh, department uh, that when they found out, the broadcast department, the head of broadcast got everyone together and, and told them there was probably 50 people in that department. And she said, this is what's happening with Chris and we're all behind him. And so, you know, don't fuck with him. Here's what's going on. And does anyone have any questions? And the head of business affairs was like, are we going to be on Oprah? And if so, what should we wear? You know, and everybody was kind <laughs> of like, the majority of the people were very cool about it. And it was great. And I was lucky that I worked at an ad agency and not like a very conservative company. Right. I might not have had the flexibility and ability to, you know, be as loose about it and uh, be as, you know, liberal. Right. Yeah. And this is a story for, there's a lot of people who are making big life changes and yeah. they're worried that a big personal change might affect the way other people perceive them. I mean, even if you're just leaving your church or you're moving away from your family or you're studying something your parents don't want you to, I'm not trying to trivialize what you've done. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, but I think there's a lot of, the story parallels a lot of people who are doing that because they're worried about what other people are going to think and they're letting that get in the way of what they need to do to be happy, to be themselves. People are rebranding themselves all the time, whether it's in a new career or whether you've lost a limb and you're worried how people are going to perceive you. Maybe you're recovering from an addiction of some kind. Whatever it is, you don't have to just be helpless and, you know, let people gossip or say what they're going to say or, or judge you. You take control of the dialogue yourself and map out a communication plan. What I did so I was telling you a little bit about the brand that I was creating for myself and the personality. Uh, the communication plan was critical, and a lot of people don't put enough thought into this. Um, this my transition was a year in the making. I really, you know, I am not Type A. I am Type A plus, maybe even A plus plus. Hmm. You know, I planned the shit out of this thing. I decided, okay, how am I going to tell the agency? First of all, how am I going to tell my friends and relatives? And what I did was I made what I called a hit list, and I listed everyone I wanted to tell personally. And there were about, uh, at first, there were about 68 people on that list. Wow. And that was a lot. That is a lot. And of course, I put my immediate family on there just so I could cross them off because I already told them. I like to feel like I'm making progress. Right. Yes. And then what I did was I categorized each person with a number from one to three, one being likely to give a, a, a um, positive response, two, I don't know, maybe could go either way, and three, oh my God, this could be challenging. You know, like my great-grandmother was a three. So I did that, and I started with the ones, and I picked them off first because, you know, you want to build confidence and then practice 
how you tell people and make, you know, hone your technique and all of that. Then I moved on to the twos and then I moved on to the threes and I had it down. By the time I got to the threes, it was a piece of cake. Uh, and I, I really got great, great responses because I had put a lot of thinking into communicating what I was trying to communicate. When it came to telling everyone at the agency, my background in advertising really came in handy. You know, what I decided to do is tell the executive board first out of respect. And my goal was to minimize the gossip. And if there was going to be some, which, of course, there was going Inevitable, to be. Inevitable, yeah. Uh, I didn't want it trickling up. Oh, yeah. Good point. I wanted management to know first, you know, it was important to me that I deliver the news myself, that it comes best from me. So I was going to, you know, announce it at the executive board meeting. Then I was like, okay, well, what about the rest of the agency? How are they going to find out? I don't want the board sending out a memo. And I don't want to call an agency meeting and have to get up on stage and tell everyone this. And I had just learned about a term, it was a term called evangelism marketing back then. And, and what evangelism marketing is, is it's basically encouraging people to take a leadership role in actively spreading the word on your behalf. And nowadays it's called word of mouth, I would say, word of mouth marketing. It's a cooler term and not religious undertones. Right. So, but back then it was evangelism marketing. And at, and at Arnold, where I worked, um, our goal was to make consumers brand evangelists for our clients. And it hit me, why not make my coworkers brand evangelists for me? And that's what I did. So one by one, I came out to 12 of my closest friends at the agency. And I told them, you know, my story coached them on how to tell others, had them practice on me, which was a good idea, some more so than for others. And I told them the executive board meeting is at this time. And when it's over, just start spreading the word. And that's what happened. So my board meeting ended at 5 p.m. on a Monday. By 11 a.m. the next day, the whole agency knew, um, the whole community knew I was getting calls from other people at other agencies. And um, for all you youngsters now who've grown up with Twitter and Facebook, that may seem like it took forever. But but back in you know 1995, when we didn't have that, that was lightning fast. That was crazy. So it was a good plan. And as I said, you know, I couldn't have asked for better reactions. People were great for the most part. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. 
You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back to the show. Well, what was dating, what has dating been like since, and especially right after you transitioned? I mean, what did you see like, oh my God, this is harder or is it easier? Um, well, I didn't do much dating before. Okay. You know, because I, you know, I was attracted to women, but oh, I was right. a woman, but I wasn't a lesbian. So I didn't really have much practice at dating at all from either side. Ah. And I didn't really even date. I just kind of put that aside because I couldn't even go there. I had, I was focused on the transition, but I started dating probably three years later. And I was dating a, a woman at work and she knew. So she already knew and was into me and we dated for about nine months. Um, but I was making rookie mistakes, you know, like mistakes you guys probably would have made in high school because I, you know, I didn't have the practice. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what I was doing half the time or, or like I might say something that would hurt her feelings or whatever. But, you know, I was definitely, I was prepared for the physical changes mostly because I had the doctors told me what would happen, but the emotional changes I was not prepared for. Like my patience went significantly less. Now you understand. Yes. Yeah, I was very impatient. My attention span, you know, you know, I have a lot of friends who were girls just from, from growing up and they like to talk and share and I listen and all that. And I could not, you know, at one point I was driving in the car with one of my best friends and I said, is your sister meeting us for dinner? 10 minutes later, she's still talking. I have no idea if her sister's meeting us. And finally, I was—I couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, is she coming or not? And, <laughs> and my friend Beth was like, you know, you used to like my stories. And, and I've noticed lately, and Mandy's noticed too, you're a lot more impatient. And, and we think it's that damn testosterone. And, and it was. It was, um, for sure. Yeah. It was. I, I also couldn't cry anymore for a long time. I couldn't cry. And it was very strange, very strange feeling. Um, you know, a lot of time women cry uh, just as an emotional release. Right. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I was worried. I talked to my doctor. He's like, it's normal. Right. You will be able to, but you won't as much as you used to. Right. You're Now you're like, I suddenly I want to play Xbox for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely more aggressive. I don't know if every guy gets into a fist fight in his life. Usually in elementary school, but you're uh, you know you're late to the game, so yeah, you get well, a pass. I, I came close at one point. It was at a Halloween party, and I think because of my sense of humor and my sarcasm, 
that I relied on, you know, I could be that way as a woman and not worry about a guy punching me in the face because right. guys shouldn't hit women. But now I'm a guy. Yeah, you're fair game now, buddy. Right. Gotta watch so it. I'm at this party and it's with a lot of my friends from college and a lot of them are women. And one of my friends was like, oh, my God, Chris, tell that story about, you know, whatever it was. So I'm telling it again to a room full of people. And there were probably 10 girls in there, a couple guys, but um, mostly girls. And most of them I knew and I was recounting the story. And so, you know, they were mesmerized by my storytelling. And this guy came in, total douchebag. It was Halloween, by the way. So he's right. dressed as this like top gun with his mirrored glasses and, and I'm dressed as a snot rag. So, um, you know, picture it. And he comes in and he just interrupts and he says to me, you're short. Wow. You know? And, and I'm like, uh huh. You know, and I ignore him and I keep talking and he goes, seriously, dude, you are short. And one of the girls was like, shut up, you know, like that. And he's like, seriously, how tall are you? And I'm like this tall. And then I kept talking and he would not let it go. And then he get, he got closer and closer. And, um, you know, I could see what was going on here. He wanted to knock me down a few pegs. He didn't like the fact that this, you know, this short guy was getting all the attention from the women and he wasn't. Exactly. And, um, but I'd had a few drinks and I was on the testosterone for a while. And he said something like, you know, you know, seriously, why don't you just tell me how tall you are? And I said, seriously, why don't you just shut the fuck up? And he's like, why don't you make me? And then I was like on him, you know, and two of my friends who were rugby players, they were women, but they were rugby players, got in between <laughs> us. Um, one of them, it was her house. And she was like, get the fuck out of here, you know, kicked him out of the house. But, you know, he would have beaten the crap out of me. He was, you know, probably 5'10", 5'11". Uh, and pretty solid, he would have crushed me. So, you know, I learned, you know, I better hold it together here because. <laughs> yeah, you don't have that sort of cultural protection. No, I don't. Which is um, stronger than the law in many ways. Yeah, so I didn't have that. How do you tell people who you want to date now? Because I can't even imagine the intricacies of that conversation. Well, you know, I've had a handful of girlfriends and I'm not a, like a serial dater. I did the match.com thing and uh, I probably went on maybe 40 first dates, no second dates. Uh, it just didn't work out for me. It's always when you're not looking when it happens kind oh, of yeah. thing. And mm -hmm. The women that I had relationships with already knew, so I never really had to tell them. Right. Uh, but now I've left my job at Arnold to write my memoir about, you know, my experience. And I'm blogging for Huffington Post, and I'm becoming more visible on this topic. So what I never let define me before, it was never part of my identity before, like for me, it was history. I was transgender, that was in the past. Now I'm just a guy. Well, now the transgender label is in the forefront for me. So I'm not used to it. It's awkward, because if someone Googles me, there it is. So for dating, you know, I always would like prefer that the girl meet me first and not know. Sure. Because I think if you know, you sort of scrutinize, you form your opinions and your judgments before you even see the person. And um, what I find is when people find out just after talking to me or just even seeing me or meeting me for a minute, 
their mouth drops. They're stunned. So for me, that's going to be a lot harder. I've sort of put the dating aside for now to focus on my career and trying to get this book published and and working on this other stuff. But, you know, there was a situation, a friend of mine wanted to set me up with somebody. I agreed to it, but I said, okay, you know what? I don't want to have to go through this and wonder. And so let's try something new. Just let's have her opt in. You know, my friend Alex is, is a girl. She's like, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, here's what you say. Tell her you've got a great guy you want to fix her up with. He's written a book. He's blogging for the Huffington Post. Google him. If you're interested and want to meet him, I'll set it up. So she's like, all right, that's what I'll do. So she did that, sent, sent her friend an email. Uh, and this is someone that she recently met. It's not a good friend of hers. Okay. And the next day, Alex calls me and she's like, she wants to meet you. So I was like, all right. So she introduced us. And then I was in New York for a, a media summit, uh, learning to pitch myself uh, on this topic. And when we were corresponding and planning the dinner, so we get to the dinner and I've come back from my trip and she's like, so how was the media conference? Did you get everything done? Was it successful? You know, what were you doing there? And I'm like, yeah, it was, it was good. I'm still not used to, you know, being Mr. Transgender where I, everywhere I go. And she was like, what? And I was like, what? Oh no. She never Googled me. So now we're having this awkward conversation at dinner and, and I'm, I'm having to tell her oh. within the first five minutes, you know, which is what I was purposely trying to avoid. But she handled it extremely well. She was great. She asked sensitive questions, was really good, wanted to go out again. We went out again, you know, but there was just not that much chemistry there and um, it didn't work out for me. So I, I just, you know, I wasn't feeling the chemistry. So we didn't sure. progress. But you know, that was probably the last date I had. That was last year. So gotcha. I'm just kind of taking myself out of the game for now. If something comes along, great. But I'm kind of not actively searching for I hear it you. at this point. You're in a, a unique position where it's almost like this one major life event could define you if you let it. That's right. I mean, do you let it? And, and what advice do you have for those who maybe don't want that? My whole goal with my transition and my journey was not to let the transition define me. I'm not my parents' transgender son. I'm their son. And friends don't introduce me as, oh, my trans friend, Chris. Just they'll say, this is my friend, Chris, or Eddie, or Peahead, or Bird, whatever they call me. <laughs> All right. That's a, obviously there's some stories there, but yeah. go ahead. And, uh, you know, at work, I wasn't Chris Edwards, the transgender creative director, I was a creative director, EVP group creative director. I don't want to sell myself short. That was my goal. And it sort of faded away in the past. I was never, I never denied it. And I was very open when I first transitioned, but I let that fade away into the background. And if I had to check a box, if someone put transgender, trans man, or male, I would check male. That's how I identify. Mm -hmm. I'm done with that. And that was, you know, the transgender part is a history in my life, but it's over. But now it's back because of what I'm doing. It is defining me right now. And I do hope to, you know, once I get this book out and help promote it and 
go around the country and speak about it and help people understand, I'm creating this online footprint. So it's there and uh, it will always be in, in my background. But, you know, I will still always check the box that says male. So I will not let it define me, but I will always have that history. What was the hardest part about the transition from an emotional perspective? Well, I think the emotional was the hardest part for me was, will I ever find someone? You know, all I wanted was I wanted to get married and, you know, find my soulmate and be happy. And that's, that's what I really wanted. And before I could have that, I had to be happy with my own identity. And so as I was getting my own identity, I was, I was getting there. And then it was, I think it was the last, the surgeries for the bottom surgery. And it was a very emotional, it was over a five, six year period that I had all of these surgeries and I never knew, is it going to work? Will a, a woman find me sufficient? Will it happen for me? Or will this be my undoing? And will I never find that person because of it? And I came close. I had a relationship for three and a half years. Unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't work out for us, but you know, it gives me hope. I will find the right person for me out there. And, and I do have hope, but I think the emotional stress was the not knowing, not knowing how it was going to turn out. And was that even possible for me? Well, thank you very much, Chris, for sharing Takes Balls. And uh, coincidentally, if you go to chrisedwardsballs.com, that's where we've got a lot of your writing and contact info for speaking and stuff like that. When is your book out already? No, the book, the, the title of the memoir is Balls. The subtitle is hopefully it takes some to get some. I'm not sure if that'll fly. I like that. But um, right now I'm trying to get a, an editor, find the right editor and get a publishing company to take it on. It's been a struggle. It's like dating all over again. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm optimistic. I've got a, I put a great proposal together and um, we're just, my agent is uh, shopping it around now again. And if it doesn't work out, I will self-publish. So if you go to my site, you can sign up for an alert to be alerted when, when the book is available. Thank you. And we'll link that up in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Chris. This has been great. All right. Thanks, George. I really enjoyed that. I think the insight into that mind is, is very fascinating. I mean, the little cultural nuances that you don't know. I mean, I, I asked Chris off air how he knew which urinal to use. Remember that quiz where you take it and you got to choose which urinal you use and a lot of girls get it wrong and a lot of guys get it right. Basically, the, the short version is you never pick the one next to somebody else if there's an open one that you can have is sort of a a DMZ between you. And it was funny because <laughs> things you know as a guy, right? Sort of intuitively. Anyway, I hope you found that as interesting as I did. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. I rely on you to keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Chris on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as all the other resources mentioned on the show, including his book. And I post lots of stuff on Twitter that never makes it to the show either, articles, insights, and other things. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. And bootcamp details for our live programs at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Remember, we're sold out five or six months in advance. So if you're even thinking about it a little bit, get in touch soon, get some info, plan ahead. Also on the website is the blog with a lot of amazing articles and our bonus episodes that aren't released in iTunes for those of you who just can't get enough AOC. 
All right, remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, and of course, special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. <laughs>